flying into a war zone is surreal. It takes one full day to get from Colorado to Kuwait, our pit stop before entering Iraq, and each step of the way another bit of normalcy disappears. First, you drive from your apartment to unit headquarters. It's still dark, about 4 a.m. In the process, you've said goodbye to your bed, your car, and all the comforts of the life you've built. Carrying two duffel bags of gear, you draw your rifle from the armory. And wife, kids, or girlfriends in tow shuffle over to a large gymnasium. There you scan your military ID card and wait in the bleachers for buses to arrive. Someone yells out a two-minute warning and it's time for final farewells. After several hours of hurry up and wait, both soldiers and spouses are ready to end the protracted, exhausting process. It's almost a relief to board the bus. Next, you enter a plane at the Colorado Springs Airport. As you walk across the tarmac, a random one-star general, whom you've never met, shakes her hand and bids you good luck. From Colorado, we took a four-hour flight to New York and had about an hour layover at Kennedy Airport. I'd heard we might stop there and foolishly told my mom supidily about it. She made me promise I'd call her if we did. She just had to be the last one to see me. She tried to time it out, but we landed a bit early and our layover was shorter than expected. Realizing she'd never have enough time to park and get to me, she panicked and left her car beside the departures terminal. Running to the international terminal, she somehow found me. We got a total of three minutes together. We shared the hug, some tears, but there was also a strange look of satisfaction in her eyes. Of course, her car was towed and it turned into a long, expensive night. No matter, she'd gotten to me and was the last mother in the entire squadron to see her son. That was enough. After the quick stop in New York, it was about eight hours to Leipzig. The Germans corralled U.S. troops in a small holding area while the plane refueled, lest we mix with the German citizens. God forbid. The major Central European states, notably France and Germany, had little use for America's war. As a side note, I would say that there is one surefire way to know you might want to reassess your foreign policy decisions. If what you're doing unites the Germans and the French, historical enemies, against you, just maybe you've got some soul-searching to do. As NATO allies and economic partners, they tolerated our soldiers' transit needs. That was about it. From Leipzig, it was six more hours to Kuwait City. Landing at night, I was struck by the huge skyline of modern buildings. From 5,000 feet, it could be Vegas. It's not our clients. The Kuwaiti emirs relied on the U.S. military for independence and trade privileges. Not all Kuwaiti people were as supportive of the alliance. The first indicator of a problematic relationship. Driving in charter buses with mandatory black curtains drawn to mask our identity. We didn't feel like trusted allies, but rather like contaminated cattle shuffled off to the slaughter. The lead and trail vehicle of our highway convoy to Camp Buring were both armored Humvees. Nothing about our trip thus far had been very welcoming. This ought to have been a sign. For nearly three weeks, we lived in a tent city in the barren desert of Kuwait. At Camp Buring, we received last-minute training, zeroed our rifles, and drew some new equipment. Kuwait is the flattest, hottest, most barren desert you could ever imagine. I actually kind of dug it. The place was fantastically exotic. One day, when we'd finished shooting on an ad hoc rifle range, and just as we loaded buses to head back to camp, 
a group of Bedouins, rode in on camels. They dismounted and started scooping up leftover brass from our M4 rounds to melt down and sell. We allowed them to do it. Fencing off the vast desert expanse was impossible, and besides, it fueled. Kuwait's shadow economy. No harm, no foul. A couple days before we flew into Baghdad, our squadron commander took all the officers, about 30 of us, on a long, slow run. After we'd finished, he gathered us in a semicircle and spoke of the future. We were about to go to war, he said, and he expected the squadron to complete its assigned missions. But, he admitted, he'd just read Tom Rick's fiasco, a brutal expose of the lies, omissions, and mistakes that had rendered Iraq a violent maelstrom since 2003. Fiasco, the commander said, had had an enormous effect on him, and he didn't plan to make stupid mistakes and refight the last three years of war all over again. He admitted that counterinsurgency would be difficult, and victory, in the traditional sense, might elude us. The colonel ended on a positive note of teamwork and duty, but his tone never strayed from an uncharacteristic solemnity. This was the most I'd ever respected the man. Maybe it was the book. Be the squadron commander himself, nervous about his upcoming responsibilities, perhaps both.